Hey, everybody, we are back with the ICS Pulse Industrial Cybersecurity Pulse podcast. Thank you for joining us. As always, I am your host, Gary Cohen, along with Tyler Wall. Hello, party people. By the way, I just, I don't know if you noticed that, I just made myself the host. So now you're <laughs> just here. You're just a guest on my podcast. I am, I am the, the guest now, actually. We're interviewing me today. Exactly. Tyler Wall will be active. By the way, we've been talking about this for a few weeks and we keep forgetting to do it on the podcast. If you guys want to talk to us, if you're listening to the podcast, if you like it, if you hate it, if you hate me but love Tyler, if you want to be a guest, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, you can always hit me up at G Cohen, G C O H E N, at uh, cfemedia.com. And Tyler is. Yep. You can reach me at twall at cfemedia.com. So you can also find us on Twitter and any other number of places, LinkedIn. But uh, but yeah, if you want to come on, if you want to talk to us, if you want to complain, which uh, why wouldn't you want to complain? Uh, <laughs> feel free to hit us up. Uh, should be an interesting one today. This is the last of our podcast from S4 out in Miami a few weeks ago. This time we talked with one of our old friends of the podcast or of the site, Eric Byers of Adolis Technology. Eric's come on a few times. He's given us quotes on different things happening in the world. He's an expert on software supply chain security. Um, really interesting guy. Also just a nice fella. I don't know if it's that he's Canadian. I always tend to think Canadians are nice. That may be a stereotype. I don't think it's a negative stereotype. I think it's a very positive and real thing that happens up there in the North. Yeah, but he was a, a, a very, very nice guy. Uh, had a good time talking to him S4. We probably spent an hour, two hours together one morning and uh, before the before the event really got going, and he was telling me all about the stuff Adolis is doing and they had some sort of drawing. I can't remember what it was for, but the prize that they were giving away at S4 was this like mini beer keg. And he was very excited about the mini beer keg, which for the record, I did not win. <laughs> that is unfortunate. Yeah, so before before we get too deep into this, though, I got to get my question in first every time that we'll get Hi. to know you. When you were growing up, because you were once a child, um, what was your favorite stuffed animal when you were growing up? It's a, a strange question, but okay. Uh, I had, so I, for much of my childhood, lived in the San Francisco area, and there was this, um, this is going to make me sound very cool, just brace yourselves. There was a, a like a puppetry shop called Puppets on the Pier out on Pier 39 in San Francisco. And so every time we'd go downtown or go on a field trip, class field trip or whatever, I would force everybody to go to Puppets on the Pier. And I have a, a turtle. So they're stuffed animals, but they're puppets. I have a turtle one. I have a duck one. And I have a raccoon one that I got at Puppets on the Pier. And those were my favorites. I never really bothered to learn how to use them properly or be an effective puppet. I just thought they were really cool. Uh, and I, I held on to all of them. That's, that's not true at all. My mom held on to all of them and then gave them to me, you know, and one of those things your parents do where they come up and have a box and be like, here, take all your junk. And those were still in there and they have now been transferred to my children. So the raccoon, the duck and the turtle are still in my house. Now, those are, those are my favorites. Wow. Excellent. The yeah. lore continues behind the stuffed animals. Exactly. We also have, uh, when my daughter was born, had a cat, and I found a stuffed animal that looked exactly like our cat. 
And so literally before she was born, bought the stuffed animal. And it's the one that she slept with her whole life. And like, it still sits on her bed. It is the rattiest thing you've ever seen, but, uh, but still very, very well loved. Did you, yes. you have, did you have one? Do you have a security I, well, blanket? I've had, I've had several in my lifetime, but um, no. So I think my favorite was, I think it might be the one from when I was born. I'm not completely sure though. I'd have to ask my parents about it, but uh, it's a stuffed rabbit named Tippy Canoe uh, because then they could say Tippy Canoe and Tyler too. Um, so I had that one for, I mean, I still have it. It's uh, somewhere in the vicinity in my apartment. Um, but then I had a uh, oh, big, big on Webkins. Oh Lord. So many Webkins. Um, and so like I had a little, little bulldog named cupcake and uh, yeah, it's crazy. I had a little stuff, little stuffed brown Labrador named Brownie. Yeah. I still have them all. They're all hiding. I, I don't know that I know what Webkins are. I'm not sure yeah. if I'm better off knowing or not knowing. No. So Webkins is basically, I don't know if it's still around. That's part of the problem, but uh it was where you'd go to the store and you'd buy these stuffed animals, they're Webkins, and they'd have a code on them and they can put the code in online. And then like, you can like walk these Webkins around in like a world and like build houses for them and play games. It was a whole thing. Outstanding. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was an interesting one. I haven't uh, thought about my puppets on the pier. I don't think puppets on the pier still exists out there. It would shock me if it did. But I there we were find out. But... There were two things I wanted to do every time I went to downtown San Francisco. There was puppets on the pier, and then also on Pier Thirty Nine, like the touristy area. But I was ten. There was a place that had fitted baseball, like MLB caps, and I always wanted to get a fitted cap too because they weren't they 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 weren't so easy to come by back then. Um, all right, here is the, the part of the podcast. We need like a theme song for this part of the podcast where I segue awkwardly from talking about stuffed <laughs> animals to cybersecurity. I feel Give like you should, minutes. as a musician, you should come up with I a I can theme do it. Song Give me 20 minutes. <laughs> have you hum something. Um, one of the things that was interesting this week is, uh, recently, is the FBI released its internet crime report for 2022, the Internet Crime Complaint Center, which we always look at every year to see what the trends are. Uh, they tend to be, <laughs> it, everything seems to be moving in the same direction, which is up. Um, but some of the things I thought were really interesting in there, you know, they looked at the IC3, the Internet Complaint Center, com complaint statistics uh, over the last five years. And it's, I mean, if you look at 2018, the amount of complaints that they got, uh, they got 351,937 in 2018. As of 2022, they got 800,944. So that's going up uh, pretty dramatically. But also in 2018, it was $2.7 billion in losses. Last year, it was $10.3 billion in losses. And that was even a big jump from 2021. It was 2021, it was just under $7 billion in losses. So that's going up a lot. The other thing is, and I'm sure everybody who listens to this podcast knows it, uh, ransomware, it's a thing. It's a big deal. So in 2022, IC3 received 2,385 complaints identified as ransomware with adjusted losses of more than $34.3 million, uh, which is pretty significant. But it's also really um, hitting critical infrastructure, which is one of the things we talk about all the time. But there were 870 complaints 
I'm just going to keep throwing numbers at you. Uh, 870 complaints that were in the critical infrastructure sector. Most of uh, the uh, the most were in healthcare and public health. Uh, and then after that, critical manufacturing. After that, government facilities. So as you know, ransomware actors are looking for pain points. Healthcare and public health, significant pain point. Critical manufacturing, you know, you're going to shut down my factory. That's a credit. That's a big pain point for me. So obviously that gets people paying, paying significantly and paying quickly. Yeah. And FBI, FBI, no, FBI, uh, also, they also issued a warning about the rising business email compromises going on just because, I mean, it's, it's phishing. That's what they're essentially talking about. And it's when these Threat actors are using like social engineering tactics to trick employees into transferring money, money or sensitive information or what have you. <clears throat> and basically they recommended like just, I mean, it's your pretty standard best practices of multi-factor. Multi no, I just English is not my first language today. Uh, multi-factor authentication and then educating employees about the risks related to those scams and having a plan in place to respond to potential attacks. I want to point out that you were all in when you were talking about webkins and then we start talking about real stuff and you can't speak uh, on the phishing thing, by the way, I'm back to the Internet crime report. It's they had a section two with the top five crimes uh, compared with the previous five years and by far the top crime every single year is phishing. So that's oh, yeah. been uh, and it's still going up. There's actually more in 2021 than 2022. But like, you know, there were more than 300,000 phishing related crimes the next closest one is in like the seventy thousand. so it's yeah it's a big deal out there um like i said today we've got on the podcast eric byers from adolis technology had a great talk with him out at s4 it was nice we found a little uh little alcove where we could talk quietly uh early in the morning one morning all kinds of interesting things we talked about he's an expert on supply chain attacks we talked about that talked a little bit about s bombs um one of the things he talked about a lot, and, and uh, Tyler, you and I have been talking about this a lot lately, is is the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning in protecting systems. Yeah, it's a big old topic now, especially in especially in this world of now Chat GPT entering its fourth. I don't want to say it's fourth iteration because that's not true, but it's fourth update, quote unquote, if you will, and just getting smarter and smarter. But um, particularly using chat not, oh my man english uh not using chat gpt to manage vulnerabilities but using ai and machine learning to manage vulnerabilities and just how it can streamline that whole process you know that's less man hours you need to spend having one human being or multiple human beings uh manage all of those themselves and just there's new emphasis on relying on uh, artificial intelligence to propel us forward and it, it is important to remember though with this artificial intelligence whether that be chat gpt or whatever whatever it is uh the information that comes out is only as good as the information that is put in so if you ask for the wrong thing uh it'll give you the wrong answer and so it's just with these we need to be cautious about those concerns um but there is definitely especially in the world of cybersecurity, uh massive opportunity for um using ai and especially with managing vulnerabilities yeah i mean if done right it makes things much more efficient instead of having somebody you know going blind going over logs it can it can 
automate a lot of these procedures that you really don't need a human to do. You know, these things that were previously done manually now can be done uh, through AI or machine learning. Uh, but the ChatGPT thing, I think, is really interesting because I think the the average citizen, does, we know what AI is. We know what machine learning is. We kind of know how it can be used, but don't have a lot of touch points with it. It's not something we interact with daily. And ever since ChatGPT came out and things like, you know, Microsoft Bing's new iterate, their AI powered iteration. I used your word, by the way, iteration. Regular people are getting to now interact with these things and like, let's see how smart they really are. And and like you said, Tyler, it's become very clear. It's, you know, garbage in, garbage out. If you don't give it good information, it does not give you good information. So you really have to tailor what you're telling it. There's all these really interesting stories out there, like journalists testing chat GPT and, and the algorithm basically telling like a journalist to leave his wife for the chat GPT and like all these really interesting experiments that are happening as people get to play with it. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's, I mean, we use it pretty frequently for work. I mean, whether I'm trying to research an article or come up with a headline or something like that, I play with it every time just to see like, well, I wonder what chat GPT will say about this one. And it's, I oftentimes will put something in quickly and then it gives me nothing, nothing good. And I'm like, oh yeah, forgot. I have to ask a very specific question, give it all the right data points. But yeah, it's been uh, it's been interesting to mess around with. Yeah, I know. If and I'm sure some of our audience has seen like the movie Her, or like you know, because that that instance with the journals makes me think of that. And then um, I think we're just getting closer and closer to a Terminator environment where uh, Skynet is going to be come an issue, and we're going to have to rally against <clears throat> against the Terminators. I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> Make of it what you will. And with that, <laughs> I'm going to bring in our guest. We'll probably be very happy with that introduction. So like I said, we're talking to Eric Byers today. Eric's an award-winning expert in the field of ICS and OT security. He's a leader in international standards development. He was the creator of the Tofino Firewall, the world's most widely deployed ICS security appliance. Uh, today, he's the CTO of Adolis Technology. He's a leading authority on software supply chain security. So a lot of good information on that uh, in this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us, Eric. And uh, here you go. Hi, everybody. This is Gary Cohen. We are live at S4. Today, we are talking to one of the friends of the site. We've been talking to him for years, Eric Byers from Adolis. Eric, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks. It's just great to be here and good to see you. So what have you seen at S4 so far? It seems like it's been a busy show. You guys are in the S-bomb room. What have you seen so far from, uh, from the attendance and, and from what's around you guys at your, at your spot? Well, I'm sure it's no surprise to anybody who's here, but you know this show has really exploded. I remember 17 years ago coming to it, and it was 40 people in a tiny room. Now we've got a show that's sold out. You know, it's packed. It's you know probably over was well over a thousand people. So, the, what's interesting about that is that the whole market has grown up. You know, it's no longer having to convince people there's an issue. Um, the talks are more are much less about uh, fear, doubt, and uncertainty, and trying to get interest, and much more about here's how you deal with stuff. Here's how, and here's the um, technology. Here's the capabilities. So there's been really good talks on uh, the use of, say, uh, machine learning um, for all sorts of different topics, including software bill of materials and supply chain. But just show is much more focused now on uh, solutions and processes to make things work and to get security into industrial control systems. 
What are some of the trends you've seen people talking about? Obviously, you've been talking to a lot of people the last few days. What are some of the big recurring themes that keep coming up? Well, um, certainly machine learning, AI, trying to take some of the workload problems that like we've over the last 20 years we've used um, people um, to do some pretty mundane tasks that are really, really uh, poor use of human resources. So we're starting to see more and more um, everybody is talking about AI. And of course, you know, chatbot, GP, GPT is, uh, you know, it's really caught the world uh, with enhanced machine learning. But it, it really it really illustrates um, uh, that particular program really illustrates like there's you know what somebody could manually do can be done in an automated fashion in a very efficient fashion and that's what I'm seeing here is one of the things is that use of enhanced machine learning um, it's something we use all over the place for example you know there's 900 vulnerabilities a day are coming in or, or new what we call CPEs coming in Who's going to dig through 900 vulnerabilities and see if it's one of them is there a problem? Every single day? No way. If some poor guy has to do that, I feel sorry for him. You know, so, this, so that's one of the things we see. Um, and then the second thing, of course, and I'm biased, but the whole interest uh, and understanding that we've got to deal with the software supply chain is really um, taking off. Uh, you know, two years ago, it was really... Uh, it was people like myself and Alan Friedman just saying, hey, this is a problem. Now there's a whole booth or a whole, sorry, a whole section dedicated to uh, dealing with the threat to our software supply chain. So those are the two things that I'm seeing that's really have changed. Well, let's take both of those things. Let's do vulnerabilities first. So especially in the OT space, <laughs> you, I remember talking to you a year ago and used the phrase an avalanche of vulnerabilities. That's always yeah. stuck with me. But, you know, in the OT space, only a few of those vulnerabilities maybe impact OT, have been proven to impact OT, or, you know, if you take a risk-based approach, only a few of those are going to actually impact your systems. So how much can AI machine learning help manage that avalanche of vulnerabilities at this point? So you aren't chasing your tail and trying to find all of those 900 vulnerabilities that are coming up every day. Yeah. So I think that's absolutely critical that we um, make that an automated process because you're absolutely right. We we see um, hundreds of new vulnerabilities coming in and we are constantly um, optimizing that so that we can say this is the vulnerability we care about and you can ignore the rest. Um, and we're starting to see some really good standards um, coming out to be able to report that to people. So it really shouldn't be the end user having to worry about what's exploitable and what isn't. It really should be the, um, the security analysts and um, ideally the companies producing the software for them to be able to say, hey, you, you know that uh, problem in, say, OpenSSL? Um, it affects these products, it doesn't affect these products, even though the actual software is everywhere. Um, and and we're seeing um, what's really good news, and particularly through uh, CISA and also the German government, really promoting standards like VAX, Vulnerability Exploitability Exchange. Here's a fast, easy way for a company that provides software to communicate to its customers and and share that information so they can say, that's exploitable. And then there's a second part of that is, who's actually exploiting it? When you have an exploitable vulnerability that um, some foreign nation state is actually having a, a, a campaign to use, well, then now that's on the top of your list, right? So those, those things, are, it, it's really that triage system go from, hey, there's a component that's got a vulnerability, it's buried deep in your software, to, hey, there's a component that has a vulnerability that's exploitable, to, hey, there's a nation state 
that is exploiting that exploitable vulnerability buried in your software. And it's that last one. And you need to be able to triage that. And it's really a filtering problem. You and I have talked about this before, but that idea of a nation state attacker, people are obviously, and and it makes sense that they are, worried about cyber criminals. People mm -hmm. who are in for a quick buck might want to ransomware your systems, get in, get out, looking for yeah. an easy hole to get in. Um, but the nature of a cyber criminal and a nation state actor is very, very different and, and needs to be treated that way. Yeah. I, the question is, what is the motivation of the attacker? What And the resources. Those are the two things. So um, cyber criminals, um, I don't discount them. I mean, I'm sure the guys at Colonial Pipeline uh, do not like cyber criminals a lot. You know, it, they can have major impacts, particularly um, the move over the last um, two years, where they realize that they can monetize large-scale ransomware attacks. That's a real risk. Um, but, you know, like you said, it's the, the thing is, is that their interest is finding the, the low-hanging fruit, the easy victims, and, and their patience and their capabilities are usually somewhat limited. Um, but their uh, objective is just to get cash. So um, if you can be either not the easiest target or not particularly a cash-rich target, I mean, um, or, a, or a, a, a target that is really mission critical and if they interrupt you, you'll cause a lot of trouble. Um, if you can avoid being a, what we call an attractive target or uh, you can be, yeah, basically avoid being an attractive target, you're probably less likely to get impacted. Nation states, on the other hand, are much, much more interested in, you know, a long play game. You know, they're, they're, and it is a long play game. You can't attack a control system in a sophisticated manner without putting a lot of resources into it. It's not just a matter of hacking in and, you know, throwing a, a few switches or starting a few motors. It's a, um, so there's not that much capability, but there is capability. And every year we're seeing new actors from new nation states with that capability. And they may focus on a particular industry. You know, they may focus on the grid. They may focus on the water industry. They may focus on nat natural gas, you know, but they'll, f they'll be focused and they'll start to understand the processes. And those guys are the really scary guys because they're there usually not for money. They're usually there to use it as a weapon and they're effectively weaponizing um, OT. So talking about weaponizing OT, protecting systems, that's a, a nice little segue into visibility, which is a lot of what you guys do at Adolis. Um, how have you seen S-bombs evolve over the years? The idea of S-bombs, a concept, since you guys started talking about them a few, several years ago. Yeah. So um, really early on when I was starting to look at the risk to the supply chain, what I realized is if I didn't know what was in software, there was really nothing I could do. Um, you know, when you think about this in any time you're trying to fix or secure anything, if you don't know what's there, it's, a, it's an old truism, if you don't know what you're trying to protect, you're not going to protect it. And the same is true um, we've seen with the whole software market. It's great to say I've got an HMI sitting over there from Wonderware or something, but if you don't know the components and the software and the operating system and the underlying, uh, you know, what, is that, what did you actually buy, you're not going to be protecting it. Now, what's exciting to see um, is that the industry has caught on to this risk and understood this risk and, and, and is starting to deal with this risk very, very quickly, um, which is really um, uh, encouraging. Um, 
you know, I've watched, it, it took us about a decade before people really realized that corporately companies had to understand what was hanging off the OT network. And that took a lot of pain. And I feel sorry for companies out there that were in that market early on. Um, it took me about a decade for, before people even understood that maybe a firewall, an industrial firewall was a good idea. Um, but that's not the case with the software um, supply chain problems. Is that, and, and maybe we can thank our enemies for that. You know, um, solar winds, pipe dream, um, dragonfly. They 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 generously um, run the training course for the entire industry. That if you don't know what software you bought, you're not protecting it, and the bad guys will tell you what software you've got by attacking it. There are two main types of s bombs that are out there. It seems yeah. like we whittled it down to two, which is a good thing. Um, in your opinion, is there a difference between the two? Is one likely to become the standard, or is it okay that we still have these these two different versions out there that people are using? Yeah, um, I, I want to preface that. First of all, the S-bomb is just a, the tool to get there, you know. Um, it, and the important thing about the S-bomb to understand the S-bomb is it's just an ingredients list. It's just a standardized way of writing down what software was inside that software package or in that controller. You know, what are, what are the bits and pieces in that PLC? And it's very much like what are the screws that were used to hold the cover on the PLC? You know, what's the list? Um, so there's, there are two standards out there, uh, three officially. Um, they are uh, SPDX. Um, Cyclone DX and SWID, but I'm pretty sure that we can now say that SWID has gone the way of ArcNet or uh, you know something you know one of those old network technologies. I don't consider it a big deal, quite frankly, that there are two. Um, I, I grew up when there was token ring and Ethernet. Nobody said, well, we're not going to put in lo a local area network until we've decided which one's going to lead. Um, it was really easy to do translations. You could buy a cheap, pretty inexpensive uh, token ring to Ethernet Gateway if you needed it, and you know it was a piece of cake. Um, the same thing here. There's tons of tools to translate it, so everybody should just pick their favorite and run with it. I honestly um, think that the SPDX uh, standard is the one that's going to win out, um, and. It's the one that you see people like um, Microsoft backing. And, and quite frankly, you know, and we saw this with Ethernet, when the big guys get behind the standard, it, no matter whether you argue the token ring was better or worse than Ethernet, it doesn't matter if you argue that beta was better than VHS. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's eventually, it's going to be the, where's the mass going? And I think um, that SPDX is going to win. I also think SPDX actually has an advantage, and that is it doesn't try and put vulnerabilities into the, the SBOM. The SBOM should be an ingredients list, not a risk list, because I want a list of ingredients that shouldn't change. And I want to say, there's my controller, and there's the current list, but it's the same list last week and the week next week. Oh yeah, if I patch it, new list, okay. You know, if I change the software. I don't want it churning continuously because there's continuous vulnerability changes. So I honestly am much, much more of a fan of the SPDX side of the house, but the uh, Cyclone DX guys will kill me for that. But. <laughs> I'm just asking your opinion, not trying to get you in trouble. Um, so why is the supply chain uniquely vulnerable right now? I don't know, uniquely vulnerable, but why is it so vulnerable? Why is it so important that people need to take this seriously right now? It's because it's got an incredible multiplier effect for the bad guys. It's, uh, you know, if I, am, if I was on 
offensive cybersecurity uh, is where I would focus. You know, you look at what the Russians did with um, the uh, solar winds. They penetrated one company. They put a lot of effort into getting into the Solar Winds Corporation. But then they had this multiplier effect where they get um, toll holds into 18,000 companies. Now, fortunately, they actually got overwhelmed and only handled about probably 20 or 30 of they actually took advantage. But that multiplier effect is amazing. We saw the same thing um, with Dragonfly. Um, you know, attack one company, get into three or 400 companies. So that's the trouble with the uh, supply chain. It's, uh, it, we're seeing it even when the bad guys don't have to attack a company like we saw with Log4j, um, the, the vulnerability is there in this technology and this product that's so widely embedded in across that it's just like, it's just, it's a gold rush for the attacker. It's like, thank you very much. I don't have to fight to get past, you know, uh, the firewalls of my, my intended victim. I just need to find somebody who wrote some bad code at, that my victim uses. Right. One third party supplier who didn't take their security ser seriously. And then you're into all of these major companies. Yeah. And, you know, I saw a really interesting um, presentation, which I can't go into a lot of details on about two years ago, about a hack on a major West Coast power company. And it was done by hacking into a very small construction services company that worked for them. Um, and these guys had like one computer and a whole bunch of backhoes and the attackers went after those guys because those guys didn't even know how to back up their computer, never mind secure it. So that it's, it's that whole thing about the weakest link. And the suppliers to a big corporation are typically the weakest link. The big corporations got all these policies and procedures and they're going to be hard to break into. But if you can go after their suppliers and use that as a backdoor in, hey, and you got more choice, you're going after one big guy or 500 little suppliers, and one of them has got crappy security, go for it. Exactly. Go bad guys, go. But, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> that's the reality. Um, have you seen the nature of the threat that's out there change over the last year? I guess a better way to ask this is, what do you expect the big story to be in the coming year in cybersecurity? Well, um, depending on uh, the political landscape. Um, but currently, you know, with, as we shoot down balloons and things are heating up with um, some of our, uh, um, some of the uh, nation states that are not friendly to Western interests, shall we say, um, we're going to see these efforts that they've been working on to weaponize OT. So we're probably going to see some sort of, I don't think it's going to be like a Pearl Harbor, but uh, we're going to see things detected that are clearly um, nation-state attempts to be able to take advantage. And we've seen them happening. I, you know, um, Triton, you know, somebody messing with your safety system is not doing it for money. You know, safety systems do one thing, um, or basically protect lives in a critical process. And if you're deliberately attacking a safety system, you are doing it to do destructive acts. Now, very fortunately in that case, that was detected before uh, the, the bad guys were able to pull the trigger. Um, but, so I think we're probably going to see more of these where there are um, actors, born state actors who have penetrated in and hopefully um, what I only read in the papers this year are about the ones that was close but we caught them. 
I hope we don't read the, oops, we didn't catch them in time, and they, um, you know, caused this major um, catastrophe or this major accident. But we see it, you know, and Pipe Dream was the same thing. Very lucky we got on top of that because that was clearly intended uh, to go to be destructive to the liquefied natural gas industry, and you can understand why too. I mean, the. Um, you know, it's not hard to figure out who would like to make sure that America can't produce or ship liquefied natural gas. Well, there's, certain, there's a certain war going on over in Europe right now that it's also an energy war. So you see that, you know, you can see that's what's going to happen over the next year is probably, hopefully, we find these efforts before they cause trouble. But, um, and, and I'm, I'm hoping that we don't find them after they've caused trouble. Just because I don't want to end on a bad note, we'll give you just because that was, I think you're totally right about all of that. But, you know, it's kind of a downer way to end the podcast. Um, What gives you reason for optimism right now? Well, one of the things that's given me optimism is the fact that we are finding them before they cause trouble. You know, and and one of the reasons is that there's there's been awareness building for the last 20 years. Uh, You know, I'm at an event here that used to have 40 people attend. Now there's over a thousand people here and they're passionate and they're working hard. And, you know, there's government officials here who are really paying attention and listening to see what's going to happen, you know, what could be done. It's no longer these just like mandates, well, you do this, but much more communications. Um, we're seeing the suppliers of equipment much more interested, you know, S-bombs being a great example. You know, we're seeing uh, organizations like Schneider saying, yeah, we are going to supply S-bombs to our customers. Um, you know, it's that cooperation that I see, um, this community working together and it not being uh, us versus them, but we're going to work together is really, really exciting. And the passion people have here to do the right thing, to make um, our infrastructures, our way of life safer. And that's pretty cool. That's an optimistic way to end things. Also, how's Miami Beach treating you? are here from Canada to ignite a couple nice days out in the sun. Well, that's the downside about coming to Miami Beach for a conference. I haven't even seen the sun. <laughs> you and I are in the same position. I don't think I've been outside for more than my walk from my hotel to this hotel. Yeah, I'm sure it's nice out there. I, I see it glimpsing in the windows. But, um, you know, it's, the exciting part is in here as much as maybe on my last day I'll go out and get some sunshine. Or today, actually, I think we can have a little opportunity to meet around a pool. So I'm going to get a T-shirt on and get over there. Um, yeah. Eric, thanks so much for being with us. We're again, we're at S4 by 23. So first, uh, it's great to talk to people out here and learn a little bit more about the industry. Eric, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. It's great to be here with you. Thanks. And there we go. Another great conversation with Eric Byers. That was the last of our podcast from S4. Uh, We will be attending more conferences. We will be doing more podcasts. Uh, so we'll have a lot of great audio compromised conversations coming up in the in the near future. But um, always like sitting down with Eric. Always has a lot of interesting things to say. And again, just a like couldn't be a nicer fella. I almost called him a fella. Is that a bad thing? Mm-hmm. Feller. Um, but yeah, the the stuff he said about s bombs I thought was really interesting. Supply chain attacks. We did talk quite a bit in that conversation about the difference between nation state actors and criminal actors like cyber criminals, especially when you're talking about attacking critical infrastructure. 
And he talked about weaponizing OT, especially about Pipe Dream, which was really a scary thing. I mean, it was, I don't think it got, and we talked about this with Ben Miller of Dragos because Dragos was instrumental in, in uh, uncovering Pipe Dream. Um, it didn't really get a ton of press. People talk about it. People in the industry know about it, but it didn't get a ton of press uh, simply because it was discovered before it was used. But I mean, Pipe Dream was intended to be destructive. It was intended to be destructive toward critical infrastructure. So had it actually gotten out in the wild, uh, it could have been a very, very scary thing. It is a scary thing, but it could have been very destructive. And, um, you know, it's understandable, but the nature of of media and stories and, and just human interest is when something terrible happens, we're really interesting. If something terrible doesn't happen, we're like, yeah, whatever. But yeah, Pipe Dream was uh, was one that I think was was pretty scary out there. And Eric mentioned it during our conversation, thought it was uh, was an interesting thing about the idea of like really weaponizing OT. And I think that is, we've talked about it before in the podcast, but it's one of the scarier things out there, especially when you're talking of critical infrastructure. I was writing an article earlier this week on a, a 2014 uh, cyber attack on a nuclear plant in um, Korea. And I mean, you can imagine the things that could happen if somebody can get into the OT systems at a nuclear plant or uh, an energy or electrical plant could be very dangerous, very destructive. Yeah. I mean, the scale of uh, destructibility isn't a word, uh, but the, <clears throat> the, the range of impact, we can call it that, uh, it really is, especially in OT environments and with something like Pipe Dream, it's really as far as the threat actor wants to take it like i mean we've talked about it before with different um different threats and uh attacks in the past but uh i mean i know i this is so i didn't hear about pipe dream up until i think the first time i i ever heard about pipe dream was when we were uh in we had a we were in a dragos um conference a couple weeks ago and one of the speakers was talking a lot about pipe dream and i'm I mean, I know I'm just, I'm just, I'm a, I'm an average guy. I'm an average Joe, uh, but it's very interesting that something so not, it is spooky. Something so spooky uh, took so long for me to kind of learn about. And it's because pipe dream is kind of a big deal and can be a big deal, I should say. So um, it is great to know that it's kind of getting out there more, unless I'm just oblivious and it's always been there and it's always been talked about, but um yeah, Pipe Dream can really can really do a number on these OT environments, especially if they aren't um, maintained and uh, defended. Yeah, I mean, I imagine if you asked if you were to you know stop five people on the street and ask them about Pipe Dream, I'd be really shocked if one of those five knew what it was. I'd also be a little shocked if you asked those five people what OT was, if they could tell you what that was, too. You so know, a valid argument. Um, maybe we can try that sometime just to get a nice poll. But that's a good argument. As always, thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast. Uh, we said it at the beginning. I'll say it again. Uh, if you would like to talk to us about anything about the podcast, if you want to come on, uh, if one of our guests says something and you just go, I disagree, I'd like to talk. Uh, I'd like to talk about that topic, too. Uh, contact us, contact us on LinkedIn, Twitter, we're Industrial Cybersecurity Pulse, or you can email us directly. I am G-C-O-H-E-N at C-F-E media dot com. And I am T-Wall, T-W-A-L-L.
L at CFEmedia.com. And of course, for more great content, you can visit us at, as he said, ICSPulse.com or IndustrialCybersecurityPulse.com. And uh, we come, make sure you come back in a couple of weeks for our next podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. Next time.